Welcome to the SB Live California podcast. I'm your host, Connor Morissette. The great Rob Wygod, Southern Section Commissioner, joins us once again. I think this is the third or fourth time, Rob, you've been on the podcast, so thank you so much. How are things going with you? Well, thanks, Connor. Great to be with you, and uh, we're doing great. We're very, very busy right now with the uh, winter playoffs, and uh, we're happy to be as busy as we are because we're uh, playing, and, and our student-athletes are getting the chance to pursue their dreams and uh, try to win championships, so it's going real well. I mainly want to talk about the football playoffs, get a chance to debrief on those. I know it's month, months removed, but I think it's interesting to get your perspective on how year one went with that new format. So we'll get to that. But first, got to start with some stuff going on uh, here and now. So the website is back, but there was a cyber attack that really you tried to go on and you wouldn't even let you on. What, what happened there? And you're now taking steps to make sure this doesn't happen again, correct? Absolutely. And Sunday morning, we realized that we had a problem and our, our site was down. And uh, our uh, assistant commissioner in charge of all of our communications, Tom Simmons, was uh, at the forefront from the moment it happened and got to work with all the folks that we work with uh, on the web. And this thing traced all the way back to our host which is probably the first time that's ever happened. So, yeah, it was uh, frustrating, especially, as I mentioned, how busy we are, that, that obviously people couldn't get to our website for uh, a period of time. But we're back. We're up and running. We're trying to make sure that there's safeguards in there that doesn't happen again. And uh, it was unfortunate. But, like I said, we're trying to move on now and, and, and go forward. And talking off the air, it sounds like the hackers, they were just doing it to do it. It's just something that they have fun doing. I don't really know, and maybe you don't know either, what the end game was. It just seems like they were – just trying to cause some trouble. It's hard to know. It's hard to speculate. Uh, you know, I feel like some people out there, this is their game. You know, <laughs> while we're contesting basketball and soccer and water polo and wrestling, uh, a game for people in front of their computers is how much disruption can I cause and, and the challenge of trying to break in and hack away at somebody's uh, information system. So we were disappointed and, and, and obviously uh, thrown for a loop there, but it just shows you how much we all rely on technology and rely on websites and, and sources of information. And, and when they're not there, you know, there's a, a difficult period till they come back. And, and we've been through that, and hopefully that's the last time we'll have to, to work through it. Let's switch to COVID-19 briefly. It would be foolish to say the pandemic's over, but we're certainly in a much better position than we were a year ago at this time. How happy does that make you that everything, for the most part, is going as scheduled right now? Well, I'm you know, certainly very happy about that, mostly for our student-athletes and, and those who have had to be affected so much. And, and so to be able to be on schedule with winter playoffs especially, and we know maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, things were really, really looking bleak for the situation with the pandemic. I'm glad it's improving. It's not through yet. You're mm -hmm. correct. But the fact that we are staying on schedule, that we're able to to keep our, our championships moving forward, I just know how important it is to our student-athletes and our communities. And so uh, we're just going to get going this week and next week to try to finish up our Southern Section Championships for the winter. Our spring sports have begun. They seem to be going well on schedule, too. And uh, like to keep our year going in that fashion. And the one tweak was just moving back the regular seasons for winter sports my like a day or two right that was the lately that's been the only COVID change correct we did there was also the Sunday provision yes. that came in so the combination of allowing Sunday competition we threw a couple more days on the end of the regular season because most people don't realize our schedules are really based on state and regional competition that happens after we're done so uh, when those calendars are staying in place then we have to complete our championships in time to get our entries into the regionals and so forth. So we threw a couple more days on the end of the regular season to help with that. With the Sundays included, I think that probably freed up another five to six additional play dates uh, that our students and, and our teams and our, our schools could take advantage of. 
try to get their schedules and, and so forth in the regular season completed. And uh, once we got all the entries and started to put the brackets together and get our, our championship started, it looked like that was able to happen. And, and we tried to do everything we could do in support of our schools and our students so that they could finish those regular seasons. Looking to the future, Southern Section High School sports fans want to know always, what's coming next? Are there any rule changes that you foresee coming in the next few months? Any, anything interesting looking to the to the future at this time? The one that uh, has been introduced is a proposal to add girls flag football oh, as uh, a ne the next CIF approved sport. So that's going to go through the process at our section level. There'll be a vote on that proposal in April. And then if it passes our section, it goes on to the CIF State Federated Council and they would get it in October uh, of 22. And if passed by that group in early 23, then we could see girls flag football as the next CIF approved sport in the 23-24 school year. Would that be a fall sport or to be determined? It's been proposed to be a spring sport okay. at the moment. I'm not so sure what will happen in the discussion phase if that stays the same or changes, but it was introduced as a spring sport. Very nice. That's really interesting. Have you had a chance to check out any beach volleyball yet? I haven't gone in person. Uh, we've had a meeting of our beach volleyball committee. It's, the sport just got started you know, just last yeah. week, so haven't myself been out there yet, but certainly want to get out there and, and, uh, and see how it looks. Uh, we have a lot of schools that are participating, and uh, the next step for us is to have 20% of our membership that fields the sport, and when they do that, we can conduct a Southern Section Championship in that sport. Our hope is that that'll be as soon as next the uh, 2022-23 school year, but uh, we have to get the, the requisite number of teams out there playing and, and registered for this year uh, before we can go ahead with a championship for next year. Do you know how close they are to that threshold right now? Yeah, we are. We're close. I, uh, the threshold in a section as large as ours is somewhere around 113, 114 schools, and we're close. I think we're somewhere in, in the neighborhood of 100, but again, some may have registered and aren't actually playing, so we have to do a little bit more verification. Uh, but if we can get to that threshold this year, then that allows us to go forward to plan for next year. Great. Let's get into mm. some football mm. talk now. Again, I know it's February, but I've been wanting to meet with you to ask some football questions for a while. So thank you so much. Let's go back in time a few years. I want to know how a bill becomes a law, if you will. So under the old playoff format, it was how you did the last three years that determined what division you were in, right? The old playoff format was the previous two years. Previous two years. Got it. Thank you. And now it's all about what you've done during the regular season. So before this new playoff, these new playoff rules become became the law, take me just through the conversation and how it came about that these rules were going to be changed and how that all works, please. Well, competitive equity playoffs, you know, came in for 14 sports. And we said from the very beginning we were going to start. This is the format. We put it through our Southern Section Council, went through our legislative process, got approved, put it into the blue book. And we also said from the beginning, this will evolve. It will continue to be worked on and improved. So starting it with using the previous two years, there's always been the thought and the discussion about how can we get even more accurate than that to use the current regular season. And we thought football was the best one to start that because with one game a week, you can depend on getting every score of every game, which is what is necessary for you to use current results. If you're going to take basketball or soccer or baseball, softball, the challenge is going to be that you get every game, every team from that entire season entered into the database so you then can put your formulas together and create your divisions. So we're going in steps and we're going in stages, and football was the first one. So we had to wait an even extra year that we were ready to go, of course, in the, yeah. in the fall of 2020 and couldn't do it. But this last season was our first year with it, and it was really – Exciting to see it roll out and actually happen. 
And it happened through, as I said, our football advisory committee and their ideas and suggestions. It happened in terms of adopting the Cal Preps ranking system, which our coaches advisory committee felt was a very, very strong and accurate system to use. And so once all of that was put together, proposal introduced to our Southern Session Council for a first reading, then it's voted on at the next meeting. And once that happens, it's implemented for the following year. So that all took place a couple years ago because we were ready to be implemented in the fall of 2020 and instead, of course, waited a year and finally got it implemented last fall. How many coaches are on the advisory committee? Probably close to 40. Okay. And they represent all of our geographic areas. They represent the length and breadth of our divisions. We have you know, Division One, Two schools. We have Division Thirteen, Fourteen schools there. Uh, so it's really a, a great group as a sounding board. And of course, it's not just those thirty-five or so coaches that are in the room. It's them being the conduit out to coaches in their areas, in their leagues, in in the just getting feedback from them so that they can bring that to the committee. So there was a lot of discussion and a lot of good input that we uh, got from the football advisory committee and other coaches too who are more than welcome to contact us and talk to us too. So I, I felt like we had a pretty good consensus, and I think we knew when the, the actual vote took place, I believe it was 80 to 4 in favor of the system. So, I mean, that's a pretty strong mandate that our schools believe this was a good way to go. I think a lot of people think it's just your office making the rules, but it's important to understand that coaches committee, they put their heads together, and then they come out with a proposal, and then it's voted on. And that's – you've explained it, but just I want to – say a little bit more exactly that's exactly how it works correct they start with it and then what they right. say you guys vote on our member schools make the rules yeah exactly. and and so i think some people don't really understand that sometimes they think i make them uh i'll certainly take credit for every great rule and be called a genius if they like it and, and then uh, i'll tell everybody the schools made them if you don't like it but uh it, it's the right system they're the ones the most affected our job is to be a resource, provide leadership, provide information, provide alternatives and options for them, you know, do everything we can to support where their vision is and, and try to make their visions become reality. And I, and I really am proud of our team here in our office for the work they've done in competitive equity playoffs and all the, the uh, labor involved in formulating and, and data and, and all the things that are necessary to put this together. But I do think we've seen the results across the board in many sports of what this has meant and what it's been for uh, the student athletes and coaches and parents and fans and communities. Yeah, I think it's just been a tremendous thing that we've seen over the last five years. And I said you guys, member schools, vote on it. That's correct. what it is. It's correct. the office. What did you make of Cal Preps bringing to light last year the fact that at the end of the year, I guess coaches were reaching out to whoever does the rankings over there and say, hey, can you lower us so we can be in a different division? What were your thoughts on that? That was pretty funny, but also pretty serious. Well, it was, and I, I thank the Cal Preps group because I think they're very much believers in what they do, and, and we believe it too. So anytime you start talking about making an alteration or a manipulation of some kind, I think they take that very personally because they, they really do stand on the idea that these are objective rankings using the formula, and this is our formula, and they're very open about that, and, and that's what we've appreciated. Coaches are you know, always looking, I suppose, for an advantage and an edge, and if they believe there's a way that they think they can manipulate a schedule or, or do something that might put them in a place they think is better for them, I, I don't know about that. I think these formulas are pretty, pretty intense and pretty involved. And the one thing that I guess I would mention is when you're taking a – 
a system that is taking into the entire season into account, all the games you play, non-league, league, strength of your schedule. And, and that's honestly, Connor, that's the biggest factor that I know our coaches believe in. So overall records and things like that, while they're important, I think our coaches have always believed it's who you play more so than maybe having a shiny record of 10-0. and 0. But if it's really not against top competition, then it's not as meaningful as a 7-3 and three who's played the top competition. So you'll see that, and maybe we're going to get into that in a moment, that the overall record sometimes can be very deceiving because achieving an overall record, depending on who you're playing, is really the factor more so than the overall record. That segues nicely into the next question. So in 2019, every Southern Section Division champion had a winning record going into the playoffs this past year. Nine of the 14 division winners were 500 or worse in the regular season. But it sounds like you that's that's all right with you. That's just how it might be when you have a lot of the, the top teams, obviously, with the winning records, and then they'll get grouped at the top. And then if they're 14 divisions, there are going to be teams 500 or worse, and they'll most likely, depending on the strength of schedule, get into those lower divisions. But it, it sounds like you're okay with nine of 14 division winners being 500 or worse and, and it's better than the old system. It was a different look. Yeah. And I know people were looking at that and thinking, well, this is really different. And they were right in terms of, again, back to the overall record uh, situation. But I think one of the things that we wanted to make sure in looking at this this first year, for example, I think it worked out in terms of the top 50 teams that ended up on our final regular season rankings. I think of the top 50 teams, 49 of them were in the playoffs. And I think that was important in a way because – if we were in a situation where we were seeing some of our very top teams not being able to get in because of the way things were set up, uh, I think that would have been something that, especially at the beginning of all of this, might have had some credibility issues. But I think the right teams got in, and maybe some of them didn't have the most glowing records. But what that also means is that you're not being discouraged from playing good teams. If, if you have to have a great record and that's all you're going to need, then where's the incentive to play anybody? And so I think if schools know that they're going to play teams and it still can help them win or lose, but it shouldn't, it should help them be a better team to be a playoff team by playing good competition, then I think we're, we are, as you described it, okay with it. Our attitude is, look, if we're going to believe in the rankings, then we believe in them. If this is who the rankings say are the teams that should be there and, and are automatic qualifiers from their leagues and, and at-large teams that fill in the spots, then then so be it. And I think the competition proved that that we had teams that belonged in the divisions that they belonged in and played the teams they should be playing, and the games were closer, and we had new teams that hadn't had the opportunity to, to compete for championships. And that's that's been a constant throughout competitive equity playoffs. So we've seen two things that we believe from the beginning that we would see. Closer games, especially in the early rounds, the matchups at the beginning, and teams that never had opportunities before never had these these uh, going into the semifinals, going into the championship final, and having a chance. Doesn't mean they win. Doesn't mean it's a great system if you win the championship, and if you don't, it's not. But did you have a chance? And that's always been the, the, the primary philosophy behind it. Fred Robledo, my colleague at the San Gabriel Valley Tribune, he championed this take this past year about – he brought up your Belinda team that I think traditionally was D3 or 4. They have a great season, maybe even a generational season, and they go up to Division Two and then lose in the first round. I think with him, that was the one thing he didn't like about the playoff system. What do you say to those teams who have a generational year and get quote-unquote punished for being really successful and having to go up and punch above their weight class? That's a great question, but I'll tell you what, what I think 
we're seeing and what people need to realize is if you're talking about a team with a generational year, they may have been in the wrong division. Mm -hmm. And the reason they were in the wrong division is because of the previous two years. Maybe they hadn't been very successful, so they were artificially low. Now they go 10-0, and they play who they play, they're ranked where they're ranked, and they're placed probably where they should be. So I know there was a little bit of seeing a 10-0 and team, especially going on the road and having to play. But if you go back to that game, I believe the score was 24-17, something like midway through the third quarter. And then maybe it got a little bit away from it. I think that being like a 15-point game or maybe something more than that. But just my point being, was it a competitive game? And I think for a while it certainly was. Uh, did the 10-0 team lose the game? Yeah, they did. Were they in the wrong division? You know, they might say, yes, they were. But I think it's important to note that doing the current regular season means you're going to deal with teams that might have a great senior class that graduated. You know, the last two years, great senior class took you to heights that were fantastic. But they're all gone. But you're still up there because they're the reason you're there. But you also have the opposite of that where schools that have been in lower divisions get some high-impact transfers. And now here comes three or four new players who haven't been there the last two years and make a huge difference. So, you know, if you want to take an example, take an example like Inglewood High School. So Inglewood High School was artificially in a lower division based on their previous two years, has had some impact transfer students. They were in Division Two. I think they reached the semifinals and, and had competitive games throughout in that division. Did they belong there? I would say yes. And so, as I said, I, there are examples. There will always, I mean, in a section our size, I think we have 215 playoff games that get contested when it's all said and done in football. Will you have cases of lopsided scores? Of course you will. But I don't even think the, the Laura Belinda game was a lopsided score. I think that was a fairly competitive game through the first half and even into the maybe middle of the third quarter. And then, like I said, one or two mistakes can get away from you. Um, so we'll see. I mean, if we're looking for next year, uh, there haven't been any proposals to change any of the bylaws. There isn't anything that's come forward to, to, to do any tweaking, if you will, of the uh, of the current system, I will have a football advisory committee coming up here in May. They'll have a full length discussion on where we were after first year and keep looking at certain things as they as they develop. But I think for for us and uh, for the football fans out there, I think we provided a pretty outstanding playoff run. Uh, our attendance numbers were certainly indicative of that, and maybe that's some of it being the uh, the return of, of play and people just excited that we were back. But I'd also like to believe there were some really good games and fun games to go watch. So our attendance numbers were great, and, and uh, that was really, really encouraging to see. So uh, as I said, it was a long time coming. I'm excited we got to be able to do it. I'm excited to see it again because I think this first year was very successful, and, and we'll need to continue to evaluate and see how it goes going forward. You mentioned no tweaks. So it'll be very or the same next year. What about in Division One eventually switching to four teams? We saw the first round games weren't necessarily as close, and your office is all about competitive equity, whatever the, the fairest is. And if four teams make up D1 and those games are close, then that's how it should be. If that happens in the future, what needs to take place for, for that to be passed? That's a great question, and I think the point of competitive equity playoffs is you belong. You should be in this division. Competitive equity playoffs is not about filling a bracket, saying, well, we've just got to have this number of teams, therefore we just have to put whoever has to be going, going in there. That's not the point. So we will continue to track under this new system now. We've had one year. What does it look like? And, and when the regular season rankings come out, what kind of gap is there between certain teams and other teams 
to where you say, you know, there's just too much of a gap there to actually place teams into into a division like that. So, you know, again, the one thing about it each year is it's going to be a different year, and we'll have to see where next year goes uh, when the regular season's over. But that, to me, will be something we'll, we'll certainly be looking at because, again, competitive equity has to be there for everybody. So if you're at the very, very top and beating somebody that maybe doesn't belong in your division, they don't have competitive equity. Mm-hmm. They should have it too. And, and I think that's an important for, uh, factor for us to look at. And if, and if so be it, you know, where there might be a, a smaller number of teams, or maybe there's going to be more. I mean, there's nothing that says you can have, can't have more than eight in Division One if it comes to that. If, if the numbers line that way and, and they look that way, that could potentially be the other way. So, you know, it remains to be seen. And, uh, and, and we'll keep, keep tracking that first round and see if they are competitive games. The second, you know, the semifinals looked – I mean, I think modern day beat Centennial by five points, yeah. and and uh, that was the best game of the year. I thought maybe so, and and I think Centennial had their opportunities, from what I understand. And then the, you know, I think a lot of people didn't necessarily know that that Servite would beat St. John Bosco in the other semi. So it seems like uh, those were certainly competitive games, and and maybe not so much in the first games. But as I mentioned a little earlier off uh, our our talk here, Luis Alamito says the number seven seed put up thirty eight points against St. John Bosco. So. You know, they have some big-time players, too. Um, maybe they had some issues on the other side of the ball. But when they scored 38 points against St. John Bosco, I think that even as the number seven seed, that's pretty impressive. So, again, you have to look at, at the whole picture. Do you think we'll ever see this system in boys' and girls' basketball? You mentioned how there are just so many games that it could be tough to get them all in the database. But when this was passed, my first thought was, I like this for football. I think this would be perfect for boys' and girls' basketball. It would be, and that's our plan and how quickly we can get there. And I've been very clear about this. It's really up to our schools. We're ready. We, we are prepared for this and ready to go. The biggest challenge will be getting every score of every game entered into the database by the end of the regular season. We're changing the culture here in our section. People are starting to understand and accept that that's their job, that they need to put every score of every game in. And it's been done initially with the last two years that we use as our formula. But as as we go forward and they want if they really want this and i believe they do and we do too because it's the most accurate way to do it they've got to do their part and that's getting all the scores of all the games so that we can then take it to the formula and make it as accurate as possible because if you're missing games it it has an effect it's not just your record it's who you play influences your standing and ranking who they play and it's a very interconnected kind of system and uh, i think it's a great system but the challenge in sports that play multiple games, tournaments, where you need every score of every game, that's, that's the only thing that is preventing it from happening for any of the other sports. And we're just, like I said, going in stages. We started with football. There's a couple other sports we're thinking about to, to start doing regular season results next and then branch it into as many as we can do it once we're confident and our schools are confident that this is accurate. Can you share which sports you're thinking about or too soon? I think it's a little too soon, but there's a couple definitely uh, on the radar, so to speak, that could go forward. I think some of the ones like basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, some of those are, are going to be a little bit more difficult just because of the, the sheer number of games. But but you know, it's all possible. It really is. And I, I hope people realize that. And maybe it's not as they want it as quickly as it's going to come forward, but it is about a culture change. You really have to rely. You're only as good as the information you get. And our schools are just going to have to be in lockstep with us on that to make sure that nothing is missed. And if that's the case, then I know we can deliver. And I think people will be excited about it. You mentioned in football how 
there are no tweaks coming for the playoffs this upcoming season. Are there any behind-the-scenes discussions about what coaches want to see change down the line that you're comfortable sharing, or is it, again, too soon No, that's that? fine. I think there was people asking the questions you already brought up, like in a Yorba Linda situation. Well, why wouldn't a, a home team league champion, you know, why are they on the road? Uh, well, again, they were a lower-seeded team in that division, and if you're going to strictly follow rankings and, and seedings, then they would be on the road. So we had a few questions about that, and it, does, it comes back to a culture change. People are used to that. They're used to saying, if I'm a league champion, I'm a home team in the first round. But not if you're using a system like this one. And so it was new. I'd be curious in three or four years if anybody even brings it up because they'd say, you know, that's just how it is, folks. This is, but, you know, they're, they're still using an old way of, of looking at it and just they're not used to seeing that. And they think, oh, that, that's got to change. Well, it, maybe it would change down the road. But if you do – you are then moving away from your rankings because you're, you're artificially skewing it. If the number 13 seed gets a home game and now the number four seed beats them, the number four team is automatically going to get the home team next. And that's not, you know, if the home team won and the team they're playing won, they're going to flip a coin, they got a 50-50 chance. You win on the road, a lot of times more likely you're going to automatically get the second game at home. That's going to skew the bracket. It's going to give the number four team, arguably, in their easiest game, they go on the road, and then now they get a tougher game, they're at home. So you have to be careful if you're going to start to manipulate the rankings and seedings because you're going to give advantages to certain teams uh, because of it. And, and I don't think that's in the spirit of ranking these teams and seeding them as they are ranked. So I don't know. We It is a blue book bylaw right now that it's top one through 16 and the top eight will host the first round. And at least for another year, it's going to remain that way. But I do know that, that folks have brought that up and, and just asked about it and is that possible. But like I said, you, you sort of can't do both. You can't, you can't put your faith in the rankings and follow the rankings and then do manipulations to them for some other reason because then you have then kind of changed the whole dynamic of, of how those rankings would, would be applied. My last question revolves around manipulating only Division One because I think in last year we saw a good example of why maybe Division One should have been manipulated. I think Cal Preps is brilliant, but the one thing that is an issue is the out-of-state games. It's tough to rank teams when they play an out-of-state team. How, how does it affect your state ranking? And I think we saw with Sierra Canyon a year ago they were the one team that beat a Division One team in the regular season that didn't make Division One. They beat Norco, and they were – Indy won the whole way until late in the year they went to Arizona and la lost to a Sahuaro team that in the beginning of the year had a couple losses, but they had a bunch of sit-out transfers, which is so tough to quantify. And then, of course, Sahuaro goes on to win the Open Division Championship in Arizona. They should have been ranked very highly, but at the time, Cal Preps thought they were lower. Sierra Canyon plays them, loses. They drop to Division Two. Maybe it cost a team like Norco a shot at a championship. I know there are no tweaks coming, but could we ever see something like the Southern Section does for boys and girls basketball, a, a committee to get the top eight to try to change something like that because I thought even though Sierra Canyon played a really close game in the first round of Division Two, I thought potentially that head-to-head -head win against Norco should have put them in Division One and Norco in Division Two, but the out-of-state loss is what flipped that. Well, I'm maybe going to digress here for a moment, but you know when we talked a little bit earlier about trying to make the current regular season, and, and I think we're seeing that happening. I, I call it building a bridge to that. Uh -huh. So if you notice in some of our other sports – in, in water polo, boys and girls, in volleyball, boys and girls, in tennis, boys and girls. Uh, we have seen at the end of the regular season, Division One selected at the end of the regular season. 
So they've, they've got a combined Division One and Two all year long, put the schools in it based on the last two years. But then regular season's over, identify the Division One team. So I think it's kind of what you're yes. suggesting, something like this in football. And, and, you know, we'll have to wait and see how that, how that shakes out. Uh, I guess I'd like to think these formulas take into so much into account, and it even relates back to your question about coaches looking for places that they might find a division they can be in. One game doesn't usually make that much of a difference. It really doesn't. You're always taking the total season. You're always taking what everyone loves to use the expression, body of work. And not one game shouldn't have that big an effect. Now, it could, a slight effect, like you've mentioned, that, that might have put a team here and here where a different result could have been changed. Is that close? That, that's true. I mean, that, that's possible as well. But I, I also think, again, you know, this happened. This is our first year. And, and we just, you just don't have enough in the first year to really start. I don't believe you make a bunch of changes. I think you look at some of the issues, you, you evaluate them, and then you see if, does that happen every year? Does it happen again? Does it, you know, is there something that needs to be addressed? And that's why I'm, I'm pleased in a way. When I keep saying about no tweaks or no changes, you know, again, anyone who would have wanted to come forward with a blue book proposal is certainly welcome to do it. But I think I know the football advisory committee, and I, I guess I would even have to say as the commissioner here, you know, I would have asked people for just a little bit of patience that, that one year is not ever really the best time to start making other changes. Let's see how things develop. And, and competitive equity playoffs started five years ago. And we've seen that the first year after that, there were things people were asking about and there have been some things done. And now we've, we've got a pretty good, you know, stride that we've hit and we're doing pretty well with it in year four or five as we've had it in there. And as I said, l things have happened in some of our sports to help use regular season to identify our top divisions. So there's, there's an evolution that's continuing. And I think that will continue with football. And uh, I, I, I really look forward to seeing after year two how much of what went on in year one is the same. Are there still things that maybe need to be looked at? Then that's the time to start looking at it maybe. I, I don't know. But um, I, I'm really pleased with the first year. And I, I think on the feedback I've, I've received, I think a lot of people really were excited to see that come out. And um, we were really pleased to come back with football championships without having them the year before. That, that's bigger than any system we're running is the fact that we were able to do it. And so, uh, you know, it, it's energizing to me. Uh, this is my 20 second year working in this office but I was a high school sports fan for many years before that and I I mean as a high school sports fan I'm excited about things in my 22nd year here about football I'm excited about what we've done in some other sports identifying the top teams and creating these divisions I love what we do in basketball with the open division and the pool play that's proven to be just a great yeah. great system and so like I said those are I, I still look at this as a fan you know I what do you want to see? What's interesting to watch? And sometimes I think in some of our old systems, it wasn't very interesting to watch a first-round matchup when you already knew when it was being done by league. You know, this league just didn't belong. Maybe one team belonged in that division, but not the whole league. Yeah. So, you know, we would just see just non-competitive and across the sports. It wasn't football. It was in, in all of our sports. And just to watch that, nobody – when you know ahead of time what's going to happen, it's it's not worth it. And I think – you know, I've always had – I think I've had a fan hat on while I've been here. And I've said, what's going to be exciting? What's going to get people interested in watching? And that's to create as competitive a matchup as you can create and give people an opportunity. And that's all you can do. Give them a chance. doesn't mean they're always going to win, but give them the chance. And I think if people have that 
You know, and the whole travel issue. People talk about, yeah, you have to go a long way. You ask any coach out there, if they had to travel two hours to play a game they think they can win versus 15 minutes down the road to know they'll lose by 30, every coach will tell you, yeah. I will go two hours to bus. play. I will, and, and I think that's important. Maybe our administrators won't feel the same uh, in terms of cost on a bus or time spent away from school, but I'll tell you right now, students and coaches, they just want a chance to compete, and they want to feel like they're out there with a chance to compete. And so if that means they got to travel a little bit to do it versus, well, you just have to play them because they're close to you, I know where they're coming on that on that issue. So as I said, it, it, there's a lot of good things happening, and there's a lot of stuff that I think gets people excited about high school sports. And with us being shut down for a period of time, you know, I'd like to believe that the appreciation for what our student-athletes do and what high school sports is all about has come back with a little heightened appreciation for uh, what we do because it was gone, and I think people missed it. And uh, it's always been there. And now that we're back, you know, I, like I said, I'd like to keep building on that and keep uh, providing the great product that we have and, uh, and let student-athletes do their thing. The pool play last year with Corona Centennial dropping their first game in basketball and then still getting to the championship, I thought was everything that was right about that system, and I, I think the pool play is brilliant. And then just as a response to your thing with the Sierra Canyon-Sahuaro situation, Sierra Canyon's going to join the Mission League this year. They're not going to play an out-of-state team so late in the right. season, and right. I think <clears throat> your point about waiting – is a very good one because something like that, it just dawned on me. That's probably not going to happen again. The best teams are in the best leagues Should for, be. for the most part, and Should they're going to have league games late in the year. I think what was so crazy about last year was playing Sahuaro so late. If Sierra Canyon had lost to them early and then beaten Norco later, I think that head-to-head against Norco probably would have counted more. So that yeah, just popped into my head. I think that's a great point. And the Norco-Santa Margarita game was pretty early in the year. Yeah. Norco beat them, and then, you know, LaSalle played them, and LaSalle got smacked. So, But, you know, it's funny. You just brought up uh, last night. Modern Day is yeah. ahead in the fourth quarter. Yep. Modern Day got got beat pretty good in their first game. If they win last night, and that's okay, it's a big if maybe, but they were leading in the fourth quarter against Sierra Canyon. They win that one and win at home Friday night, and Modern Day's in the championship final. And they lost their first game, and by a decent margin uh, that they played, you know, the first uh, game out against Harvard Westlake. So, you know, that's how competitive it is. I mean. Here, modern day last night is on the precipice of beating Sierra Canyon, and then they can just lock down a win at home against number seven, even after they lost their first game, they'd be in the final. So that's how close it is, and uh, and it's exciting to watch. And like I said, I, I'm really proud of our basketball coaches and and assistant commissioner Reiner Wolf and and all the folks that really put their heads together and I think created a really exciting format uh, that we've seen play out every year as as pretty outstanding. So uh, this year will be no exception. Yeah, I think that is exceptional that that tournament is one of my favorite things to cover rob your transparency is so appreciated thank you so much for the time that's rob wygod southern section commissioner thank you so much thanks for having me connor always a pleasure